Morning. I know everybody's uh, thinking, all right, Pastor, they're frying fish back there. We'll be going over. No promises, okay? No promises. Y'all know my track record. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. I, I've been looking forward to getting to this place. I feel like I've been repeating myself for a long time about how sinful we are. But we could sit and talk about that for a long time because we are terrible sinners, you know. We, we, are, we are sinful. We deserve nothing from God. Uh, but He is so good and so gracious that He gives us eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're looking at verses 21 through 31. You know good and well I'm not preaching that much. I will cover about two verses today. Uh, I, as I was looking through this, I saw uh, one commentator referring to a number, another commentator that he did not identify, uh, and so I don't know if he made it up or not, but he says that this commentator uh, expounded these verses, uh, actually 21 through 26, and preached 22 sermons out of those few verses. And as I was looking for, through it, I was kind of like, I can see that. But I will spare you, okay? Uh, <laughs> there you go. I will spare you. I am going to preach a few sermons out of this, though, but it won't be 22. But it's said by many that this is the greatest paragraph ever written. This is the greatest paragraph ever written. Paul has been laying out the evidence for the sinfulness of mankind, all mankind. And now what does he do? He turns it. He springs hope of salvation apart from the law on his audience. Salvation that is only for sinful mankind. Salvation is only for sinners. He can only save sinners. He can't save the righteous. He can only save sinners. Well, that's all there is, though. Yeah, but some don't think they are. And Paul spent so much time speaking of the total depravity of us as men and women. Because unless we understand how terribly sinful we are, not in comparison to one another, but in comparison to a holy God, we will never think that we need to be saved from anything. Salvation, he speaks of, that is only for sinful mankind. What a gracious, merciful, loving God. Paul introduces this salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And he views salvation in three ways in this text. Notice what they are. First of all, he views salvation as 
justification. Look at verse 24. That everyone falls short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Here he maintains the language of the courtroom that he has had from, uh, from the previous chapters, laying out evidence, finally bringing the indictment. And here, after bringing the indictment, after saying, here's what the sentence could be, now what does he do? He declares those who come by faith righteous. <laughs> not, he doesn't declare us not guilty because we are guilty. He declares us righteous. He pardons the guilty sinner. Justifies us, declares us righteous, not on the basis of anything that we do, but on the basis of his son, Jesus Christ, crediting his righteousness to our account. Justified. So he sees salvation, uh, views salvation as justification. But also he views salvation as redemption. Continuing in verse 24, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption is a word that's imagery of the slave market during this day. Where there were slaves and they could be redeemed, they could be bought out of slavery. Some could even redeem themselves, but this is a picture of Christ redeeming us. Slaves to sin. That's who we are. Slaves to sin. And He redeems us and delivers us into His righteousness. But then Paul also uses imagery that comes from diverting the wrath that we deserve. And that's where he says, whom God, verse 25, put forward Jesus Christ as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This is the diversion of wrath. Propitiation uh, has in it both the uh, taking away of our sin, uh, our sin being cast upon him, and also, the thought of the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus Christ. So he bears our sin, and he bears and absorbs the wrath of God that he didn't deserve, but that we deserved. I always find it interesting when you find outlines at the beginning of a section. And I want you to know he's going to open up each one of these as we go on through chapter 5 and even into chapter 6. So 
I'm giving you a little bit of an overview there of what's coming down the road once we get out of this paragraph. Today what I want us to see is I want us to see the gospel of God. I want us to see that God is the source of the gospel. I I want us to know that the gospel is God's idea. It's not man's idea. I want you to see God's love in this. And I want us to consider the plan of God to redeem, to save. And I want you to have three parts to this. First is God's perfect plan is an eternal plan. God's perfect plan is an eternal plan. This gospel is eternal. Secondly, I want us to notice that God's perfect plan is fully revealed. It is fully revealed. Second, or thirdly, I want us to notice that God's perfect plan is received by faith. God's perfect plan is received by faith. Notice what Paul says. He brings in the conjunction, which brings about in this context a change, a a transformation from this gloomy message of our hopeless sinfulness. And then it's turned to great hope in Jesus Christ. And he says, but now. But now, what did he say before that? He said, verse 20, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now. No one will be justified by doing things. No one will be declared righteous because they're good people. No one will be declared righteous uh, because uh, they participate in religious activities. No one will be declared righteous because they follow all the rules. But now, There's something apart from the law. The righteousness of God. But now, he says. Paul uses this phrase in two ways. First, he is using it in a temporal way. Uh, Speaking of time, he is contrasting what people knew before the gospel came with what the gospel has revealed. What did people know before? Well, they knew the law. The Jews did. The Gentiles, they knew laws too, written on their heart. The contrast comes with 
What does the gospel reveal now? <laughs> it reveals the righteousness of God. So that's one way that he's using it. Everything before Jesus was then, okay? Everything after Jesus is now, but now the righteousness of God has been revealed, made manifest. What was known then was what we discovered in chapter 1, was God had revealed in creation about himself and what God had revealed about himself through Moses and the prophets. He revealed his attributes of power and his divine nature in creation. And he revealed through Moses and the law his character and what was expected. What is known now is known most clearly through Jesus Christ. John writes that he has made the Father known. Some translations say he has explained him. With Jesus came revelation of who the Father is and what his nature is like. And how gracious and loving and kind he is. There's not one God of the Old Testament and one God of the New Testament. There is one God and he is good. Second, he's using this phrase, Paul is using this phrase, but now, in a logical way. He's using it in a logical way. Up to this point, Paul has made that argument that all mankind is sinful. And here, he doesn't leave the argument. The argument is continuing. But what he's arguing is you can do nothing about your sinfulness. But let me have a chance to deliver a message to you. A message of hope, a message of salvation, a message of redemption, a message of transformation and newness. Let me deliver this message, but now. Having removed every argument for righteousness that the Jew or the Gentile could give, he reveals the righteousness of God that saves sinners which is good news since they all found out I'm a sinner. Something that helps us to see how he's using this both in temporal and in logical way is where it says uh, there in verse 21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Then the law, laws and the prophets, they bear witness to this gospel, to the righteousness of God. 
His righteousness revealed in the Old Testament. And it only comes by faith. It only came by faith in the Old Testament. It only comes by faith in the New. But now that righteousness has been revealed. Righteousness of God has been revealed for all mankind, not just for Jews, for everyone. And it comes by faith. Although the law and prophets bear witness to the righteousness of God, uh, he's is speaking of before Jesus' time. And what we need to understand that that saying is this. The gospel is not a new plan because an old plan failed. The gospel is the only plan there has ever been. The gospel, the righteousness of God that is received by faith, only plan ever. No one in the Old Testament was saved by doing works of the law. No one. They were only saved through faith. He's going to bring that out, by the way, with Abraham, who believed God and it was counted to him as what? Righteousness. And that was before the law. Always been by faith. It's not a new plan. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, Acts chapter 2. Y'all know it's one of my favorites because I refer to it a lot and have for over 20 years. But Acts chapter 2. Beginning in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed, that is, murdered by the hands of lawless men. Definite plan. Boule in the Greek. It's a council gathered together to determine something. It was before anything was. And it's the council of the Godhead. And it's the council of the Godhead saying the sun will go. He was delivered up by a definite plan. It was a plan through the ages. It was a plan of redemption, and that redemption would come only through faith in Jesus Christ by his blood being poured out. This is not a new plan because an old plan failed. It's always been the plan. Since before there was anything to redeem, there was a plan To redeem all by faith. The gospel has always been the plan for saving sinners. And there's not another one. There's not another one. 
Oprah don't have one. Joel, he don't have one that I've heard. Buddha don't have one. Muhammad don't have one. There's only one plan, and it's through Jesus Christ. How do you know it's only through him? Go to his tomb. He's not there. All those others I mentioned, they will die or they have died, and you will find their grave full. But that not of Christ. Why? Because death couldn't hold him. And he overcame sin on that cross. Y'all know why the tomb is empty? Not only because death couldn't hold him. I mean, death, it's the wages of sin. And so he died. But he couldn't stay dead. The proof that sin is forgiven by what he did on that cross is the fact that the tomb is empty and the wages of sin have been overcome by him. That means that all who are in him have the same promise of being raised. Sin has been defeated by Jesus Christ. God's perfect plan. It's eternal. There's not another one. There's not another plan. You'll never be good enough. I'll never be good enough. No one will. It's through faith. Y'all going to hear that a lot more. Not only is God's plan eternal, but God's perfect plan has been fully revealed. Look what it says. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested It's been manifested. It's been made known. It's been revealed. It's completely exposed. In Romans chapter 16, uh, we find, and I read from that this morning, verse 25. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. Kept secret for long ages. It is God's righteousness So what is revealed is from God. When it says righteousness of God, anytime you see of God or of Christ or something like that, it's in the genitive of the Greek. That is the the case of possession. Righteousness is his. There is no righteousness apart from God. 
And so any righteousness that has been revealed has been revealed from God. We, we can't create our own righteousness. Oh, we do. Don't you get me wrong. But it does not measure up to the standard of the righteousness of God. It never can. It never will. What Paul's doing here is he's glancing back over his shoulder to chapter 1, verse 17, which he didn't call it that, but we call it that. And there in uh, verse 17, it says in chapter 1 of Romans, for in it, that's the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel, the righteousness of God is from faith for faith, not from works for faith. The, the Old Testament did not present one way to salvation, and the New Testament present another way to salvation. Salvation has always been through faith. So the faith that was believed and exercised in the Old Testament is the same faith that is applied in the New Testament. And it's all applied in the same person, Jesus Christ, and Him alone. This righteousness is revealed apart from the law. The definite article isn't there. So let me read it without the definite article. Uh, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from law. Not the law, but law. He's not talking about the law of Moses there. He's talking about any law. He's talking about that, but not just that. He's also talking about the law that is written on the hearts of the Gentiles. He's saying it's apart from law. In other words, there's no merit for either Jew or Gentile. Neither can claim any merit. God is supplying his righteousness in the gospel. When the gospel is proclaimed, we are proclaiming the righteousness of God that saves. It's been revealed apart from the law. God is supplying his righteousness to the inherent, comprehensive problem of man's sin. Because there's no other way to espunge sin from mankind. How's he doing that? God's righteousness is manifested, revealed, made visible. How? Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Glad before 
I uh, came in here. I looked at this because I opened to 1 Timothy and that wasn't right. So 2 Timothy, I made sure to say it right. 1, look at verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Can I stop there for just a second? Just to remind us that he did not save us For us to carry out our purpose, he saved us to live out his purpose. That's why. That's why you exist. He saved you for that. To carry out his purpose, not yours. Now you're going to carry that out, his purpose, through many of the ways that he has gifted you to do so. Never let your heart get to a place where you're living for you. We're living for him. He saved us for that. He called us to a holy calling. He gave us this purpose, which he gave us in Christ Jesus when? Before the ages began. And which now has been manifested. Here it is. Through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We just kind of circled back to the first point of but now. It's through his coming. It's through him coming, uh, his incarnation. That but now, Paul says in another way, and it's coming through even in this point, in Galatians 4.4, 4, uh, that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. Here, this righteousness has been revealed. How? Through his Son. Through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Uh, through his sinless, father-reliant, spirit-empowered, sinless life. It's been revealed in his death and in his resurrection and in his ascension. The righteousness of God is revealed most clearly in Jesus Christ. And that makes him trustworthy. We can trust him. Y'all got anybody you can trust in your life, with your life? If you don't, let me introduce you to a guy. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God and the King of Kings. He's the Prince of Peace. He is the Savior of all the world. Let me let you know why you can trust him. Because he is the living God. He was and always has been. He was eternal in the heavens. And from there he stepped out and came to this wretched place that was full of nothing but sinners. Lived perfect life. Tempted in every way just as we are. Did not sin. Proved himself to be the perfect 
absolute sacrifice for sin. It pleased the Father to crush him on the cross in order to deliver the plan that he had planned from all the ages. And he died and he was buried and he rose again. He overcame the sin that was laid on him. This plan has been fully revealed. And our call is to believe we can trust him. We know we can trust him. We can trust him to take away our sin. Y'all feel burdened and weighed down by the sin of your life? Have you ever felt that way? I once did. They're like walking around with bricks on my back. But when you trust Christ, that old heavy load falls off. All that sin gone. I love how the removal of sin and his promise that he won't use it against us anymore speaks of when he Forgives us. He separates us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. In case y'all don't know, that's a long way. Because if you go east, you won't stop going east. You're going to have to get on a boat at some point. All right? Or if you're flying, you know, you can refuel. You'll just keep going east. You won't stop going east till you run out of gas. You, you just can't stop. You won't stop going west. Go north. You'll eventually be going south. Go south. You will eventually be going north. So to say that your sin is separated by him from you as far as the east is from the west is to say that it is eternally forever separated from you. He's not going to use it against you. You're guilty of it. But it's gone. All your sin. For all who believe. God's perfect plan is received through faith and faith alone. Look what it says in verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Through faith in Jesus Christ. There's not another way. It's only through faith. Faith is not merely believing facts concerning Jesus. It's it's possible to believe something to no effect. In John chapter 6, those who followed Jesus believed that Jesus was sent from God. 
but they walked away from him. They believed something, but it did not have the effect of lasting, loving relationship. You can believe something to no effect. Faith is not merely religious activity. Faith is trusting its object to fulfill its purpose. It says here, the righteousness of God through faith. What's the object? In Jesus Christ. We can trust Him. We can trust Him to take away our sin. We can trust Him to give us eternal life. We can trust Him to keep us from the wrath of God. We can trust Him completely. If we have faith, we believe something to no effect, we won't trust it. We'll be careless with it. We'll say we believe in Jesus, but we'll be careless with it. I, I live out in the country, so I have a few guns. Not that you have to live in the country to have a few guns, and I would definitely not call myself a gun expert nor a gun enthusiast, but they do come in handy when you're out there. And I like to shoot targets and stuff like that. I trust that that weapon will fire when it needs to fire. I trust that that weapon is dangerous anytime that there's ammunition in it. And so do you know how I handle it? Cautiously, carefully. I don't want to do anything that would bring harm to anybody. Because I trust that that weapon will fulfill its purpose. If we don't trust Jesus and we just give lip service to him. If we don't trust Jesus and all we're doing are going through motions and being religious and all those things. We will be careless with his commands. We will be careless with the salvation that he gives us. And Paul here, this will come out more as we go, does not speak of a faith that leads to careless living. It leads to transformation. That's what the gospel does. It changes us. That's what Jesus does. He saves us, sinners. Oh, there he is, sinners. And he completely changes us when we place our trust in him. We trust him to do exactly what he says he will do. I will take away your sin, and I will give you eternal life. May I encourage you today, 
Believe Jesus. Repent of your sin. And receive that free gift of eternal life that includes forgiveness of sin. That includes eternity with the Father. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the gospel of God, your gospel. Father, there are many false gospels out there that tell us that we don't need to repent, that tell us that there are many ways to God. But Lord, your Bible, it's authoritative, it's inerrant, it's infallible. Your word tells us that there's one way, and it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, I pray, God, that you would take this gospel and you would penetrate the hearts and minds of those who hear it. And, Father, that you would save and redeem, that you would plant well the seed of the gospel in good soil, that those who hear it would flourish in fruitfulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.